0: Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Broleson. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack. And maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down
1: this road I go, but I am going alone. Running far, far from home Till I am but skin and bone Oh It's been, it's been,
0: it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a day. It's been and a
1: half. A, a year. It's been a couple of months. I love how we started this thinking like, oh, this would be a fun thing to do. Like during pandemic quarantine. And then both of us went back to work and we're like, oh God, oh god, oh god what are we doing?
0: It's <laughs> so hard. Why are we doing this?
1: <laughs> because and as we're realizing we had a little bit of a breakthrough today that this is kind of therapy for both of us in a weird kind of way Uh yeah Um, so there has been some crying already today um so that's good hopefully I won't do any more crying um I've been on the road for seven hours so that's kind of how my day has gone (laughs) um not for anything bad just for science related stuff um i basically went to louisiana and back so it's it's been uh, it's been a day um
0: how are you doing it has been a day with the black i'm all right i've had i've had a couple three weeks so november 13th was ocean fest yeah and november 15th is when i decided to go camping in georgia to take a break and calm yep. myself down from the burnout um that Saturday morning is one that i and so when I found out that my uh, aunt passed away mm-hmm. and then that week following was a very odd work week because I had to catch up um, on things from vacation but then also grieve the loss of my aunt yep and have to deal with all, all of the group family text messages and Check in with my cousin and her siblings, and all of that. And then this week has been our coral restoration workshop. So a lot of people from out of the country has come to our lab to visit our lab to learn about what we do for coral restoration. And um, yeah, a lot of things has fallen through the cracks. uh, Needless to say, yeah. Not only in my professional life, but also my personal life, so... Yeah, (laughs) so we're... uh, There's a lot going on. (laughs) So we're trying to rain it all together
1: before the holidays. Uh, We're doing two more episodes uh, before Christmas. I think the second episode actually comes out after Christmas. Um, And so after that, we'll take a little bit of a hiatus for... Uh, two to three weeks to kind of get our heads back on straight um, because I also live in chaos and have had live fish in the wet lab that I am solely responsible for since uh, pretty much October. This is the first week I haven't had any fish in the wet lab at all um, and haven't had to go in over the weekend. So talking about weekend work, I know how you feel. (laughs) Um, And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's been uh, baby red drum And I had two uh, American eels for a little while that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to keep alive, but I managed to. Now they're off at an aquarium, so we're very happy about that. And then uh, I think next week I'm getting flounder that I have to somehow keep alive over the holidays while I'm gone. So I'm doing a lot of staff training and um, so many people have been kind enough to um, fill in for me after Christmas, um, which is wonderful. So I can actually go home at the end of December and um, early January. So big props to everybody at work for um, helping me out because otherwise I would not be going home at all. <laughs> so I get you. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it's hard for sure yeah how's the uh it's <laughs> black mold situation <laughs> that was the other thing that yeah I failed to mention as to why shit was sitting in around here and then uh this week was our coral restoration workshop ironically also like between last week and this week was uh so Friday on the December 3rd is when I found out that there was black mold riddled throughout our house And we had to be displaced for about four days. And then (laughs) this coral restoration workshop happened. And it's just been, like I said, it's just been one thing after the other. Yeah. So (laughs) I have not gotten a break. Yes. And when we found out about the coral or not the coral, the black mold, I was dog sitting my friend's dog. And so I was like, I don't even have one dog. I need to try to finagle my way into some sort of like temporary housing situation. I have two fucking dogs. I'm like I don't know what I'm gonna do. And like <laughs> she was up in a different area for a uh, a race, like a running race. Mm-hmm. And um, I just ended up texting her or calling her and pretty much giving her the situation. And I stayed at her house that night. Um, the following two nights I stayed at. The lab, because we do have dorm housing there. And thankfully, a room was open, but it was borderline the worst weekend to do that because of the restoration workshop, because all the dorms were being rented yes. out by the people yeah. that were visiting. Yeah. And I was like, thank <laughs> fucking God that I got in a little bit sooner. Because also, get this. So, my boyfriend was working overtime in the fucking dry tortugas. <laughs> <laughs> Where there's no fucking cell service and I had no way <laughs> to be like, Hey babe, I need to come to like to your house tonight. Please like right. tell your brother to let me in. Cause yeah, no, it was it was a lot.
1: You should have <laughs> just, just like broken in and been like, hey, I'm going to stay here because there's black mold. I hope I'm like, hey, Michael, okay. um, I
0: know we've met like twice, but <laughs> I'm going to spend the night here. This is my dog. Hopefully and you don't mind dogs. <laughs> this is my dog and this is another dog. I hope you're okay. With <laughs> it. Hope you're okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, no, it's been... It's been a lot, like, to the point where I am, like, solely focused. It's, like, it's just literally been tunnel visioned of trying to figure out my next move to take care of the highest priority. Yeah. And, like, I haven't thought about anything else. And then, like, now that things have settled i've like been catching up on things and i've realized how many things i've had fall through the cracks and i'm like oh fuck <laughs> so many other things have like gone to shit i'm like god damn it
1: so it's like a damn miracle that we even managed to scrape this one together this time i almost like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I yes. yeah it's been it's been a moment yeah it's
0: been really rough
1: <laughs> yeah well
0: we're oh. here
1: so let's Let's talk about other people's misery instead of our own <laughs> for a little please,
0: bit. Um, please did, tell me your
1: stories. <laughs> I, I have, I have a new story that I think is not really getting a lot of, um, uh, and there's not a lot of talk about it in the United States, which, which is crazy because it's been happening to our neighbors in the North up in Canada, which is like how self-centered is this country we can't oh, even God. like get like major news from Canada basically what's been happening up there is um in British Columbia and it's specifically um like Vancouver Island there have been some massive storms um hitting that coast um and basically, creating what they're calling a 500 year flood in the region and it is like devastating like i know we talk about hurricanes a lot with both of us being down here in the gulf of mexico but um there's other parts of the world that have you know devastating natural events happen to them as well and i think a lot of us forget about that especially during hurricane season we're like
0: only we matter
1: (laughs) you know Mm-hmm. Um so basically up in Canada in like late November um there have been massive storms basically racking the coast and there've been big floods um and uh the biggest port in Canada was cut off basically by floodwaters leaving around 18,000 people essentially stranded um it's gotten to the point where as of the end of November, um, it was impossible to reach Vancouver, which is a huge city, by road from the mainland. So the only way you could get to Vancouver is like by ferry or by airplane, um, just because the so many bridges have been damaged um, and how so many roads have been washed away. Um, thankfully, it doesn't seem like the death toll is too, too high. Um, There has been one death that I can find information on so far. Basically, the biggest threat is having people getting caught up in landslides and mudslides because this area is very mountainous um, and with all that water comes mudslides. Um, And so one woman was killed, I believe, maybe um, either in her vehicle Um, or she was in a house that got cut up in the landslide and they recovered her body and there have been a lot of cars caught up in these mudslides and it's it's just like horrifying and i really haven't heard much about it um until Mm -hmm. i listened to the podcast that's spooky because they're canadian and they brought it up Mm -hmm. and talked about um you know, how awful it is and, and how it is, it is essentially a, a huge natural disaster happening. Um, and so I just wanted to bring a little bit of attention to that. So if you can, you know, find a way to donate to them this time of year, because a lot of people are suffering in that region. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a, it's a big, Highly populated area of Canada as well. I mean, Vancouver is one of their biggest cities. um, And it's certainly a very important um, economic city as well. And so that's just something I think that if you're looking for somewhere to donate to this time of year, um, relief efforts for them would be a good one.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely agree. I found a different thing that was questionably of equal importance. Um, okay. so in environmental news in the keys, um, there was a large protest today. I don't know mm-hmm. if you heard about this or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so Florida Keys citizens, I forget, I think it was like last year they voted to have smaller, cleaner, safer ships mm-hmm. only to have it all overturned by the Florida legislator overnight in a transportation bill with some sneaky wording in a different bill. Okay. Um, and so today was the first time in about a year that the largest cruise ship has entered the port of Key West. Okay. And there was a very large protest of citizens, local fishermen, local guides, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, every, like people were pissed because this was, it was the, um, a 26 foot draft, I want to say. In the last cruise ship that came here for emergency purposes, there was a visual um, silt stirrup from what it caused. So, this today, the Norwegian Dawn, um, which is a 91,000 ton large cruise ship that is 951 feet long with a draft of 28 feet and has a capacity of 3,200 persons uh, mm-hmm. docked in Key West today, which greatly exceeds the size limits enacted by the supermajority of local voters yeah. um, that was eventually overturned by the Florida legislator. And so essentially everybody that voted to have smaller cleaner safer ships today went out to the port um, that did not have a boat and they stood their ground on the coastline protesting and then everybody that had a boat that voted for a smaller cleaner safer ship took their boat out to the port to block the way of wow coming in yeah (laughs) so
1: that's cool
0: (laughs) it was a very it's I I, like I've been seeing a lot of the photos of it and it gives me goosebumps because it's it's one of the like they are very passionate and like like, I completely agree with them, mm-hmm. with their passion and what they stand. But they are very passionate about the smaller, cleaner, safer ships, and it makes complete sense to me. I just like I. It's just baffling to me how, because I've never seen. I've honestly, I've never seen it with my own eyes. I've only seen it through photos. But it's like now knowing more people that um, that have come into light with supporting this movement. It's, mm-hmm. it's really impressive because you see the visuals with drone footage of what an emergency docking situation provides. So for everyone else that's listening that does not know the situation, about a month or two ago, there was a person on a cruise ship that was having some sort of emergency health condition I can't remember if it was septic shock or if it was heart attack or something Mm -hmm. like that, but the closest port that they were to was to key West. And um, so they made an emergency docking to get Mm -hmm. this person medical help, which we all agree was the right decision to keep someone alive. Like, yes, it, it sucks that like you ripped up the bottom of our ocean, but a person's life is also at stake. But It it was just another reminder of, like, this is what these cruise ships do to our local environment. And Mm -hmm. this local environment, is very much what we rely on to make a living down here. So, like, sustainability purposes, like, this doesn't work. We need to find a better solution, which is why, why... The locals voted for smaller, cleaner, safer ships because we want the tourism, we want the economy, but we don't want the damage that comes with the larger cruise ships. And so today, there was a large cruise ship that came in, and everybody came out to protest it, and it was a movement to say the least.
1: It'd be cool to kind of hear like how long they can keep that up without like the coast guard or the military getting involved. You know what I mean? The coast
0: guard was there. Oh, okay. They were monitoring. Yeah, they the code was there monitoring for safety. Like huh. they had their boats out. All right. That's cool. So yeah, like it's 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 really hard like <laughs> when you see the impacts that that shit has down yes. here. Yes. And then it comes in and then you see how like many of like your colleagues are out there trying to fight the same fight that you're in. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard. It's- yeah. It's really well, hard
1: to see uh, that and, matter. like, for a lot of it, it's, you know, economy versus, you know, keeping the natural environment intact. But in key the Keys case, like, the natural environment is also very much intertwined with the economy, just as much as, mm-hmm. like, cruise passengers are. I will tell you something. I uh, went on a cruise um, in the Bahamas, and we did... Um, stop in Key West. So I was on one of those big boats, Um, but I didn't know that that was such an issue, but it makes sense because, I mean, not only would you be scraping up, you know, the bottom of the ocean, but you're also contributing to turbidity, which for corals is not great because they rely on photosynthesis um, Mm -hmm. to have that symbiotic relationship with, you know, the algae that live, you know, alongside them within the organisms. So, it makes a lot of sense and
0: the Florida keys
1: is one of the few places in or the only place really in the United States the contiguous United States that has significant coral reef uh yeah I think it's the only place you can get to
0: that is like tropical tropical yeah in the United States
1: yeah um well definitely in, in like the mainland um don't forget Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course, Hawaii is there. But yes, it's the mainland. <laughs> yes. Although I don't think they, <laughs> Native Hawaiians really don't want to be part of the United States, which I completely understand. Um, there's a whole backstory behind that. But um, those are the only like environments within our country where you can see coral reefs. So it's super important to keep those intact as much as we yes. can. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. So that's really cool. i have to look that up later. All right. Well, that that's good stuff. I mean, I feel like um, as we continue to live on this planet and use resources and we're seeing kind of the fallout of our actions as a human race, um, I think that environmental conservation is a form of survival um, because ultimately the planet is still going to be here They're going to be new species that evolve after we're gone, but really we're trying to conserve the planet Mm -hmm. for our species. Um, And the more damage we do, the less livable it's going to be for us because we have a very specific range of environmental um, parameters that we need. Um, We are generalists and that we can live in a lot of places, but at some point we're going to kind of push our limits as far as resources are concerned. So I always think it's good to talk about.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like we want the future generations to enjoy what we enjoy. Yeah. And to be honest, to be completely honest, like there's really not much to enjoy as of right now for our generation. I know. So like saying that we want the future generation to enjoy what we enjoy, like it's really not saying much.
1: No, I know. I I really just want the future generation not to live in a hellscape. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) I agree. I'm like, yo, can we do a little bit better, guys? It shouldn't be that hard. Oh my
1: goodness. Oh, to be an environmental biologist in 2021 is just a time. Um speaking of hellscapes, uh, let's get to our main story, which funny enough, my favorite murder fucking did today.
0: <laughs> you were telling me, yeah. and you're like, they should do like murder stories. Yeah. I love stories, and I saw it. I was like, "Well, like tomato, tomato." Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I'm not, you know, nothing. It's obviously I love my favorite murder. I listened to it pretty religiously, um, and I have for a very long time. Um, And because I was driving today, I was listening to like a backlog of all my podcasts, and um, literally this episode came out today, um, and Karen. Gareth was the one who did this story. So I hope I can mm-hmm. do it um, as well as her, but not do it exactly like her. So, but um, I did think it was really funny. And I think she has been getting into doing more like paranormal and um, like survival stories um, that aren't necessarily related to murder, but are just really, really morbid. And I, you know, appreciate that obviously, because that's kind of what we do, mm-hmm. but it is funny. So if if you don't like my version of it, go listen to my favorite murder. Um, Georgia did a really great story as well, so go check them out. Not that they need the uh, um, advertisement at the all.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got it. They got it good over there. Fine. <laughs> right, but we appreciate them.
1: Yes. Okay. Um. So today we're going to be talking about Morrow Prosperity and the. Marathon de Sables or Sable, I think maybe it's French. I don't speak French. So, um, so, okay. So Mauro Prosperi was a 39 year old police officer from Italy who took part in the 1994 Marathon de Sable, Sable, Sables. Basically (laughs) that's my Spanish coming out. I, I took uh, a couple years of spanish and i'm okay at it but um I, my brain wants me to say sables because that's <laughs> what it would be in spanish my brain
0: would say sables as well yes. like i would read that and mentally like sables but physically be like sable
1: sable um basically sable. it means the with mar- a pinky up yes <laughs> Basically, it means the Marathon of Sands. And the reason it's called this is because it takes place in the Sahara Desert, which is exactly no, where shit. I would never want to run ever. I don't run anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Um, did I tell you how I do do those half marathons uh, yeah. through that one organization? So I was looking at another one and And I really want to go to Saguaro National Park. And in February, like, I think every 12th, they have a half marathon in Saguaro. That would be Um, cool. But obviously, I've not been training for that. So I have rerouted to do Rocky Mountain National Park at the end of July and, Mm -hmm. like, filter that into being a long vacation into being my birthday celebration. Ooh. Um, But also to say that, Yes. Fuck running in the desert because clearly (laughs) I only run in like the desert areas. Or if I'm running in the desert, like in Saguaro, it's in February, so it's winter time.
1: Right. So it's not not as hot. hot. (laughs) I mean, the (laughs) Sahara Desert is one of the, if not the hottest place on the planet. So it's kind of like a death wish, in my opinion. But
0: yeah, no. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like in 1994, did we talk, did we talk, did did we talk dates yet? yeah 1994 yeah but especially in 1994 I feel like the technology was not there to take care of yourself
1: <laughs> I honestly think well yeah and and we'll get into that but I honestly think it doesn't matter because baby, it's all about water and you can't make that better technology you know what I mean like ultimately you mm-hmm. gotta got water That's and a true. camelback you know what I mean so yeah
0: so I don't know you could have like a cooling towel or something I don't know Right, but like, I feel <laughs> what, like how much of that does, does that really' help yeah, is what you're saying I got yeah, yeah, so
1: <laughs> so this marathon was a six day, 250 kilometer, which is 155 miles. That's how long the race was, through the Sahara desert of Morocco. So it's only like a very tiny part of the Sahara desert because the Sahara desert pretty much covers the entire like northern Africa and we're only doing like a small 155 mile section in Morocco for this which (laughs) I mean that's a long Uh, race yeah like I don't I don't run but I I feel yes very long because like a a normal regular marathon is what 26 miles
0: or something or kilometers it's 26.2 right I want to say because a half marathon is 13.1 right so honestly a half marathon is enough for me I remember finishing my first half marathon and being like holy fuck people actually run two of these Like, so (laughs) you're basically
1: running like like seven full marathons during this marathon
0: that's what they were doing yeah oh god consecutively yeah golly yeah oh thank you (laughs) i would not be down for that at all so (laughs) no so get this one of the requirements
1: of this race of course is rationing water and you would
0: say like oh yeah don't you have to have like a liter of water a day isn't that like the the social like acceptance value is one liter per day Uh, of water or is it one gallon
1: how much water per day? So it's actually <laughs> about three liters. Okay. Yeah.
0: Does, does that equate to a gallon? I don't know. Measurements.
1: Dude, I can only <laughs> work sorry. in either metric. <laughs> I, I don't I don't switch between the two very well. Sorry. No. In my
0: brain, I have my Nana's voice saying, Oh, a gallon of water when you're camping a day is what you to do and then i hear my friend sarah who's australian saying oh when i went backpacking in the bush i took a couple liters because technically a liter per day or whatever she said i just i have a, a memory of liters for <laughs> my australian friend and then yeah. i have a memory of gallons for my nana and yeah. i'm just like these are two different measurements that people grew up with so i don't it, know
1: it says it's 0.8 gallons, so it's almost a full gallon okay yeah. So, it's, okay. I mean, it, it's a lot. Okay. You'd have to pee a ton. Yeah,
0: I know. Definitely. <laughs> so rounding up. Yeah. So rounding up, you should probably take a gallon of water per yeah. day if you yeah. need to be out for whatever many days need. Got it. Yeah. All right. Got so, it, Anna. Gotta yeah.
1: So obviously you're like, yeah, you would have to rush the water in the Sahara, but Okay, not only are we rationing water, it's like a requirement of the race. So if a runner exceeds their water ration for the day, they get a time penalty for the next day.
0: That's so not like, okay.
1: It's a rule of the race.
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> it's so no, fun. that's like setting, that's that's setting people up to die. <laughs> that's not okay. Well, that's At all we're gonna talk about. <laughs> oh my god the people die i'm gonna scroll down a little bit longer should i not scroll i'm gonna keep scrolling
1: you're not gonna learn Uh, anything from it just no i'm
0: not i didn't (laughs) at all i I did not learn anything
1: okay (laughs) so so basically great
0: so what happened (laughs)
1: they have a water ration they also have to carry all of their own food and equipment on their backs for the week so not only are they rationing water but they're carrying around all their shit while they're running through How the Sahara are they Desert, be running, you have to be a very, very strong athlete. Like Prosperi, for example, was a former Olympic pent- pentathlete for Italy. So he like went to the Olympics. What's for pentathlete
0: running? mean? For uh, pentathlon. Five. So and that's five running. Five So pentathlon is five things. Yeah, I think it's running, biking, swimming, fencing,
1: and some kind of horseback riding fencing yeah <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what Karen said on my favorite murder and I was like are you kidding me
0: Thank <laughs> <laughs> like horseback riding is kind of reasonable but like fencing I would have been like shot put or shot put whatever what is it shot or shock shot put shock. okay so it's it I would have taken fencing. Fencing,
1: shooting, swimming, riding, and cross country running.
0: God, I really would have put horseback riding in there above those two, too.
1: (laughs) Well, it's like the biathlon, which cracks me up. It's just cross country skiing and shooting. Like, God. (laughs)
0: who made these things up Jesus.
1: (laughs) rich people rich people did but anyway it's
0: true okay yeah anyway sorry go ahead
1: yeah so so he's a former pentathlete like he he went to the olympics for running essentially um he's also an italian police officer and therefore was like really physically fit had run a ton of marathons before and then decided he wanted to take on this challenge um, his friend invited him to do, which was this marathon. So he began training running 25 miles a day and reducing the amount of water he was drinking to get used to dehydration while running. So they're training their bodies to be able to adapt to hot conditions, less water, um, before they go, which is still crazy. <laughs> at least they're like preparing themselves so imagine if like while you're training for one of your marathons you're also reducing the amount of water you're allowed to drink while you're running every day
0: that's i just feel like that's just very insane
1: yeah i mean there's that's basically a race to push the human body to its very limit in in many ways
0: like they're they're conditioning themselves to have the bare minimum in in an extreme setting
1: mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah and so the race was so risky that runners would have to sign a form to say where they wanted their body to be sent in case they died. Although, up to this point, no one had. Okay. Died,
0: right? No, thank you. If I had to sign that form, I'd be like, why the fuck am I even running this thing? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Like, imagine me filling out a fucking race form being like, please send my body to my mother. she's not gonna know that I died because I did not tell her that I was doing this run because I know she'd be too concerned and be too stressful for me to explain to her why I'm even running this thing and then I die and then my body shows up at her front door oh my god the trauma (laughs) no thank you I'm not doing that (laughs) it's like
1: a little coffin with like a bow on top you know like a bow you see on top of a car you know when you buy a new car no (laughs) no Well, speaking
0: oh of, oh my of, god! Uh, when I went skydiving for the first time, my mom was like, "Please don't ever tell me if you go skydiving because I am not going to be okay." <laughs> and I, so I told her when we landed, and she was like, "What the fuck is the matter with you?" I was like, "I don't know a lot of things, mom. I don't want really to
1: tell you." Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this? like, why are you
0: going to run across the Sahara Desert? I was like, I don't know, because I felt like it. For hey, here's the sadness in my body.
1: Oh, yeah here's here's my form
0: oh so, god
1: obviously yeah. his wife uh cinzia was a very worried um especially as they had three children under the age of eight at home but maro managed to assuage her fears enough for her to let him go on this race, and partially because nobody had actually died up until this point, so
0: oh, see, that's the worst because, like, yeah. you know, in your gut, when you're like, mm, "This is a bad, bad idea," and you're yeah. like, "I'm gonna listen to him anyway because that's my husband," and I'm gonna let him do it, and so like, "This is what makes him happy," but in your gut, you're mm. like, "I don't no. like this." Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate that feeling. And then when it happens, you're like, "Oh, I was right the whole time, and I should have known better." And then you beat yourself up. Oh, it's the worst. Yes. Is, yes. Is that what, uh, Oh God. So she was, she, was she right? She was right. Wasn't she? We'll have to find out. Uh, Jillian. <laughs> we got to get into it. All right. So
1: they've been doing this race, um, you know, every year since. Um, so it's still going on to this day. Um, but in the 21st century, the race is very different. There are up to uh, 1,300 participants and uh, Prosperi says it looks like a giant, snake you can't get lost if you tried but in 1994 there were only 80 participants in this lost, race. <laughs> <laughs> um mm-hmm. so mo- so most of the time prospery was basically on his own running on his own during this race because there were only 80 people um across you know hundreds of miles of landscape um so in 1994 the race started on april 10th and for the first few days, it all went very well for Prosperi, and he began to fall in love with the desert landscape. He said, I was always the first Italian to reach the next stage, and I'd put up a flag on my tent so that we all could get together in the evenings, and it was a lot of fun. So if you look at the pictures that I sent you, we've got you know Prosperi running with one of his Italian friends, and then a picture of him at the end of one of the days of the race with all of his friends that he had made while running. Um, and they all look like they're having a great time, despite the fact that they're doing something that nobody in their right mind should want to to.
0: <laughs> Honestly, they all, all look healthy. Yeah. Like they look like they have good color in their face. Mm-hmm. Their face is like healthy and um, like, it's not bony. Yeah. Or anything. Like, yeah. yeah, they 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 got bright eyes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, no baggy eyes over there. It's all good. And they're definitely like
1: taking precautions to protect themselves from the sun and from the sand. They've got like goggles and like turbans, hats, all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. ultimately, like they're prepared and the um Organizers of this race tried very hard to, you know, make sure that nobody strayed off the path um, and make sure that everybody got to the marker at the end of the day, no matter how early or late that they made it. Like, uh, ultimately, they don't actually want anybody to die, right? Um, So before we get into the mess that this race turned into, let's talk about the Sahara Desert first. So, like I said, this desert is fucking huge. It's the largest desert in the world, covering almost all of Northern Africa, which is nearly 3.6 million square miles, and is as large, nearly as large as the entire United States of America plus Alaska. It's fucking big. Oh, God. I mean, you've driven across the country, I've driven across the country. You know how long it takes to drive. <laughs>
0: That's- I do. And I also have been to Alaska. And I know how big that shitty state or well, not shitty state, but I know how big that shit that state is. Yes. And um wow.
1: So imagine wow. if all of that was just <laughs>
0: a desert. All the entire all of it is a desert, the whole thing. Um so I had this conversation with someone the other day. I think it was my boyfriend's brother, because we're talking about Texas things. Mm-hmm. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because you live in Texas. <laughs> You would know this, but when I was coming back from one of my road trips, I was driving through West Texas and that shit felt like it took me three days to drive through, even though in reality, it took me 12 hours to drive through, but it is, Mm -hmm. it just feels like I equate it to that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail when that, when I forget which, um, I think it's like King Arthur he's like running up to the hill and like, and then it just, it's like the repeated, like he's like running up to the hill yes. and he keeps running and he keeps running. And then next thing you know, like he's at the front door and it's just like, that's how I felt about driving through West Texas. Was like I just kept driving and driving and driving. And next thing I knew I was in the middle, I was in Dallas and that's, you know
1: yeah that's that's yeah west texas is a desert desolate wasteland unless you're in like a big bend which we're planning on going to big bend next year which i'm pretty excited about because it's you know pretty and there's features but most of West Texas caverns
0: in like the new mexico area texas area
1: yeah uh carlsbad is near no i haven't um carlsbad is near el paso el paso is like 11 hours away from where we are
0: gotcha i digress (laughs) okay so yes texas is
1: big but imagine that this whole the whole country we live in was just a big old fucking desert and
0: that's yeah that'd be insane yeah it'd be very insane
1: so it's bordered to the west by the atlantic ocean to the north by the mediterranean sea and to the east by the red sea Um, the name is derived from the Arabic word for desert, which is kind of funny because they just literally looked at it and they were just like desert. And then that's what they called it. So, (laughs) um, and sand sheets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I I get, you know, (laughs) Um, and sand sheets and sand dunes cover approximately 25% of the Sahara surface. um, Although there are a lot of like Desolate rocky plains, dry mountains and plateaus, and the occasional oases as well. Um, surface temperature of the dunes has been measured to be more than 180 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the, the, the dunes, like the sand on the dunes is, has been measured to be that hot in the summer. Um, and summer temperatures average over 104 for almost the entire year. Um, rising up to 117 and higher during the warmer months. Um, Half of of the desert receives less than one inch of rain a year. So there's no moisture here. Um, The desert, however, is home to several nomadic groups, um, including the Tuareg, the Berber, and the Bedouin um, in the region that we're going to be talking about today. And they have been very successful in this region um, and are very adept at desert survival and they're nomadic, um, basically because (laughs) there's just not enough resources in the desert to stay anywhere for any, uh, period of time. And there's really still not a lot of settlements there today, even with all of our modern advances. Um, so anyway, back to Morrow, uh, Prospery, who was now running through 150 miles of this hellscape. So, on the fourth day, April 14th, which was the longest and most difficult stage of the race, I think they were running about 50 miles that day, which is just, I, that, I can't comprehend. <laughs> it's too many
0: miles. <laughs> yeah, it's way too many.
1: Yeah. Um, so
0: Pros- It is uh, too, too many for me. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Prospery found himself alone. Um, after entering a section of the sand dunes as the pacemakers for the race had gone ahead. But like I said before, he's kind of used to this because there were only 80 people in the race. Um, Temperatures on this day were peaking at 115 degrees Fahrenheit. All of a sudden, a violent sandstorm began and he was basically swallowed by a yellow wall of sand. Um, Oh, no, thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. You know my bigger fear is in this world is actually quicksand but I think a wall of sand is top tier
1: yeah I have a quicksand story I want to do next year
0: do you really yes oh no (laughs) oh god
1: okay Um, (laughs) so basically uh Prospery at this point was uh in fourth place um during the race and he didn't really want to lose his position so he just fucking kept running through the sandstorm, but he couldn't see anything. Couldn't see where he was going. That's not
0: smart. Couldn't see anybody else. Um. Eventually, though, I feel like if a sandstorm coming, I feel like if a sandstorm came to me, I would just stop dead in my tracks and like stay there until it was over.
1: And that's what most, I think, all of the people in the race did, and the actual like, um, like organizers of the race decided to. Stop the race at that time but everyone was out in the desert so how are they supposed to know so he's running eventually he can't run anymore though because the winds are so strong and the sand is like literally piercing his skin um so he turns his back on the wind covered his face um and basically kept moving to prevent getting buried until he could find a sheltered area um which he found, I think, a rock in a bush and crouched down and basically waited for the storm to end. This storm lasted a total of eight hours. So he was sitting there waiting for the storm to end for eight hours.
0: Eight hours? hours—it's a whole work day! <laughs> I know! <gasps> and you're just sitting there crouched behind a rock. <laughs> I could be getting paid for this shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh gosh. God! I would. Uh, and you know that that time just like does not go by any faster.
1: Dragging.
0: Yeah. Dragging. Yeah. It's like minutes feel like seconds, and seconds are like milliseconds. oh uh,
1: No, thank you. You're
0: probably like tasting sand every mm-hmm. time you breathe. Yeah. Oh no, no, thank you.
1: So eventually the wind finally died down and it was dark. So Prosperi decided to sleep until he could see better. He was still somewhat upset because he had been in fourth place before the storm, but he thought, Oh, well, you know, I can't win now, but I can still make good time tomorrow morning. I'll get up really early and try to reach the finish of this leg of the race. Um, So in order to finish this leg of the race, he had to finish in 36 hours or he would be disqualified. So he still had time at this point before he went to sleep. When he woke up, however, the landscape was completely transformed. But at the time, he didn't know he was lost because he thought he could navigate reasonably well with the compass and the map that they were all provided.
0: But because of the sandstorm, all of his reference points were gone. I, was gonna say, I feel like that's everyone's famous last words. I got a compass and a map. I'm fine. And it's Rape. like, oh, wait, wait till it's just covered on the ground and you don't know where you are anymore. Right, right.
1: So he was hoping that he would find another runner, but after running for four hours, he climbed a sand dune and couldn't see anything. Um, and that's when he realized he had a big problem. <laughs> so
0: that <laughs> so made me think of when Emily and I climbed uh, a sand dune at the great sand dunes and our dumbasses thought that once we climbed the first one there would be like a valley or something behind it and it was just more fucking sand dunes Yeah, and when we got to the top we are like what the fuck are you kidding me like what is this we are were, like, we were, we we're kind of annoyed <laughs> <laughs> like you just got to the top is more fucking sand like what yeah.
1: yeah that's all the great I love the great sand dunes so um they're so you, pretty did you sled at all while you were there
0: No, so we didn't because we got in way before like the uh, like the ecotourism type of stuff opened Mm -hmm. Um, and we just like walked it and like you've been there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. there's like that mountain that's literally right next to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty sure when we reached to the top of the sand dune, I was like, well, this like and we we realized that there was more sand dunes behind it. I kind of had the realization I was like well this makes sense like I don't know I didn't think about this because that mountain's right there like with the degradation from the wind and everything like this I definitely learned about this in school don't know why I didn't think about this earlier (laughs) I was like and then we talked about it for a bit and then we went to the visitor center and Emily was like oh no shit like you're right. I was like, "Yeah, this was, that's what this degree got me." <laughs> a science, I, I, I know. <laughs> I get science. to the top, and I
1: understand why there's more sand.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like I know God. a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyway, climbed to the sand dune. Couldn't see any like features that he recognized. So, he decides at this point it might be a good idea to start walking to conserve energy. <laughs> so, because he'd been running up until this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'd walk.
0: Fuck it, I'd crawl. Yeah, I'd take a nap. I would yeah. just take a nap. I, Actually, I Maybe I wouldn't because I'd be too scared about sand covering me and I don't think I would <laughs> want to take a nap, but be close to taking a nap. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: um, after he realized he was lost, he also decided to pee into his spare water bottle as soon as possible. And while you're saying, okay, this is gross. First of all, the water bottle was empty. Second of all, he knew that he should pee while he was better hydrated because that is when your urine is the purest and most drinkable. So if you wait longer, basically your urine gets more concentrated and it starts getting worse and worse for you to actually drink. So he stated that he did this as a precaution and thought the organizers would find him soon because he didn't think he had strayed that far from the actual path. Um, so he had with him a map, compass, sleeping bag, plenty of dehydrated food and a small flare. Um, They were also, like I said earlier, given fresh water at the checkpoints, Um, but when the storm hit, he had only uh, one liter of his water, two liter water ration left. So not really a lot. (laughs) And certainly not Mm -hmm. a lot enough to get him through maybe more than a few days, even if he really, really rationed it. So, But he still thought that the event organizers would find him at this point
0: which is insane because do they not like they don't have a gps on their bib they just have like the location like i feel like i don't know how to describe this but like in a sense yes they have a gps on their bib but it's not the type of gps where you can look at an app and find them it's like the type of gps where when you pass certain points it registers that you passed it and like I don't even know that they had that. Checks you off, right?
1: I don't even know that they had that. I mean, it's ninety four. There were literally people. Oh, that's
0: true.
1: There were Uh, people at the checkpoints, so they didn't have GPS.
0: That's true. Okay,
1: never mind. So yeah, he doesn't have anything. He doesn't have anything. So he begins walking only when it was cool in the morning, and then also in the evening and during the day, he would try to find shelter and shade and rest, which is typically what you do if you're in a desert survival situation you you know walk when it's coolest to conserve water and energy
0: mm-hmm.
1: um on the second day uh of his ordeal he heard the sound of a helicopter it was one of the uh basically once they realized he didn't make the checkpoint um they all uh, the race organizers sent out a search for him and the helicopter was part of it um and so this guy was, was looking, it for
0: him or just like for everyone that didn't make it
1: just him. He was the only one who didn't make it.
0: Oh, okay. Because okay.
1: everyone else just kind of hunkered down where they were. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, wow.
0: Yeah. So he heard this helicopter? Did he try to like flag it down?
1: Yes. Yeah, so he had a small flare with him um, and he fired that flare. But I think because the sun was so bright and the flare was so small that the helicopter did not see him or the flare. Oh. God. Yeah. So since Morrow's experience, runners in this race have to carry C flares now, which are huge. (laughs) Yes, that's fair. (laughs) At the time, the flares that they carried were no bigger than a pen. So they didn't have a very big like chemical reaction that would shoot them up. Um, So at this point, he was still convinced that the Uh, organizers of the race would find him the helicopter did give him hope even though it did not see him he knew that you know potentially more more people were coming um after a couple of days of wandering the desert he came across a marabout which is a muslim shrine where bedouins stop when they are crossing the desert so you can see the picture of the marabout in the second slide Kind of looks like a temple kind of vibe Mm -hmm. to it. Like a small building with a tower adjacent, literally in the middle of a sea of dunes. Um so where was I? So this marabout was uninhabited at the time and was actually being used as like essentially a mausoleum for the body of what he thought was a holy man um in a coffin. Was in inside of the Marabout. Also, because of the sandstorm, the Marabout was uh, filled with sand. So he could actually reach the ceiling of this building um, because the sand was so high in inside of the actual building. Um, he welcomed the roof over his head and the shade, obviously, um, and he cooked some of his food with fresh urine and um, basically to conserve. water. Yes. Um, basically because when you're mixing it in with something else with a little bit of flavor, it's not as disgusting, I guess. (laughs) Um, so in order to stay hydrated at this point, I think he was out of water. He began sucking on wet wipes in his pack and licking the morning dew off of rocks. So he's in kind of dire straits. Um, and then by day four of his ordeal, he began drinking the urine that he had bottled earlier. So, oh. yeah. So this is where he's Gross. at. Yeah. That. So he planted his Italian flag on the roof of the Marabout in hopes that somebody would see it um and it makes sense i mean the there's a a significantly tall tower i feel like if you were flying you would see this building on the landscape um so it's smart of him to do um while he was on the roof planting his flag he found a small colony of bats um
0: this (laughs) point (laughs) get ready (laughs) is this where he becomes a bat yes (laughs) it makes me think of what we do in the shadows yes have oh my you god. seen that yeah <laughs> yeah this is just his vampire
1: oh origin story
0: <laughs> oh my god
1: <laughs> no what he does with the bats is okay, actually good. far more disturbing so he finds a uh-huh. colony of bats and he decides to eat them okay so we would grab a handful of bats cut off their head and mush up their insides with a knife. And eat and drink them raw. Because he Ugh. wanted to conserve moisture. And if he cooked them, he would lose the moisture in the blood. That's how desperate he was.
0: For hydration? Yeah. Uh Yeah. So, if anyone's listening and you're in a
1: situation, drinking animal blood can actually help quite a bit. Because it provides you with... Can it? Yeah. Absolutely. Ah. Mm-hmm.
0: No, thank you. Oh, yeah.
1: So, uh, he also found a bird's nest and ate the eggs raw. Um, he would eat beetles as well. Um, and basically anything he could find, uh, for additional liquid. Um, and He actually did have in his pack anti diarrhea medicine, and he would eat that too to prevent him from shitting his brains out due to his new raw type.
0: I'm gonna pack myself some anti diarrhea medicine. (laughs) Well, you don't wanna have diarrhea. Turns out I'm gonna really shit myself, so I better (laughs) take two of these tablets before I eat a fucking bat.
1: (laughs) Oh, the struggle is real. Um... (laughs) He stayed in the marabout for a few days, hoping to be found on day three, he heard the sound of an airplane engine. So he immediately started a fire with whatever he had, anything that he decided he wasn't necessary to his survival. He lit on fire, including his backpack, um, basically hoping that the airplane would see him. And you think that the airplane would, considering he's in a building now? Unfortunately, right he's at that on time,
0: fire, isn't he?
1: Well, what? what?
0: I said he's on fire, isn't he? Or like his shit's on fire? His so, shit's like, he... on fire. Yeah, yeah.
1: So y- you would think, yeah. So unfortunately, though, right at that time, another sandstorm hit. Oh my god!
0: <laughs> oh my god! No. <gasps>
1: and this (laughs) doesn't insane yeah that's the desert for you uh this one lasted for 12 hours um and the plane did not spot him because you know there's fucking sand everywhere (laughs) so yeah oh god yeah
0: so he's on he lit his shit on fire and then another sandstorm that came through so did it put the fire out oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) so like he really didn't he really wasn't visible for, like, more than probably, like, five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's the worst. Yep. Yep.
1: So, okay. So, I'm going to put in a little bit of a touchy subject trigger um, surrounding suicide. Um, so oh, this is something no. That makes you uncomfortable or that you have trauma from. Please skip forward, I don't know, maybe, like, a minute or two depending on how many tangents we have. Um, we'll try to be quick about this. So at this point, he was convinced that he was going to die an agonizing death. So he decided to as- accelerate his death by attempting suicide. Um, he decided to do this because it was more likely that his body would be found there at the Maribout, um, And his wife would get his police, pension if his body was found and confirmed dead so basically in italy if someone goes missing you have to wait 10 years until they are declared dead and so he wanted his wife to get his police pension so he wanted to die where he would get
0: out of here you have to wait 10 years oh mm-hmm. yeah and he thought that if he you
1: had, know. know tried to keep walking in the desert that like no one would ever find him
0: right oh so, my goodness
1: yeah So he wrote a note to his wife with a piece of charcoal um from the fire that he created and then uh slit his wrist and went to sleep. Um then he woke up.
0: Oh no. He woke up He woke up with slit wrists? Yeah. Wanna know why? Why? His he was so
1: dehydrated that his blood had thickened. Didn't seep so out.
0: Much. Oh my God. It was like a fucking jelly that just stayed inside him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's gross. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I like clotted
0: immediately. Yeah. I mean, good for him. Cause he's still alive, but also like gross. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he check- also, how do you live with yourself knowing that like you survived your own suicide? A lot of people do. I know. Yeah, I know that I said that sounding very insensitive and I did not mean that to sound very insensitive, but it was just more of like my mind blown that like you tried to kill yourself and like you didn't. And so now you're like, oh, fucking shit. Like, yeah, I guess in his case,
1: it wasn't like a mental health issue. It was more of a, I literally have no other option. Like, like I'm going to die.
0: And I'd rather kill myself than die a slow death.
1: And and so my wife can get a pen like some money from the government. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So it oh, is God. oof. So anyway, he took this as a sign uh and decided that he wanted to try to live. Um so he decided to leave the marabout and start walking. So because before all of this he was, you know, in very much in shape and highly trained, he said uh that he still had quite a lot of energy left despite all the shit that he had went through um oh my god he decided to follow the advice that the tuareg who are a local people of the sahara um and basically they had given them advice and like survival information before the race and they said if you are lost head for the clouds Um, that you can see on the horizon at dawn, that is where you will find life because where there are clouds, there is moisture, um, during, and they said during the day they will disappear, but set your compass and carry on in that direction that you saw the clouds basically. Mm -hmm. So he walked in the desert for several days. Um, and he, uh, started seeing life all around him. He had like this newfound focus and he said he was, you know, killing snakes and lizards, eating them raw so he could drink the blood. He said his inner caveman emerged and he essentially was like 110% invested in his survival. Um, he also left a trail of an unnecessary gear behind him, essentially as like a trail of breadcrumbs a la Hansel and Gretel in the hopes that somebody yeah, would find find
0: me if something happened. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha.
1: So he was aware that he was losing significant weight as the more he walked, the looser his watch felt on his wrist. Um, At this point, he was so dehydrated that he couldn't even urinate. Um, So he lost that. Uh
0: Yeah. No. Oh, God. So uh, that would be so miserable feeling like you have to pee, but you can't. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ugh.
1: Well, and peeing is how you get rid of some of your toxins and stuff. So now you're starting to deal with like yeah. toxin buildup. Yeah. So yeah. he began looking at the signs of the desert. He would follow trails of animal excrement because it's likely that they were leak would lead him to sources of water. Um, he followed dried river beds and he would find succulents and squeeze the juice out of them. Um so he's doing he was, I mean, he was going for it. So while he yeah, was doing was. all this the organizers of the race were looking for him um, including his brother and his brother-in-law who had flown in from Italy um, the organizers oh God. Yeah, the, <laughs> the organizers had started looking for him from the day following his disappearance basically using the Moroccan military and the Bedouin trackers to aid in the search and they did find all of the signs in the marabout that he had left like his flag was still there um, but at this point they were pretty sure they were looking for a body.
0: So yeah, I would think the same thing. Like, right. no fucking yeah, he was surviving that.
1: Yeah. So on day eight, Prosperi's luck finally changed. He found a small oasis in the desert. It was literally a, like a small water hole, essentially. Um, he laid down and drank slowly, uh, for six or seven hours but he stated that he could hardly swallow. He managed to force a mouthful of it down, but almost immediately vomited. He couldn't hold anything because his like throat was so swollen from like the lack of water.
0: Oh, oh, oh no. That's a
1: thing that can happen to you, apparently.
0: I never thought that was a thing. I would think it'd be the opposite, not swollen, but just like rough and hard.
1: yeah, apparently it that's what
0: happens
1: (laughs) now, you know, yeah, the more, you know, yeah. So he found that he had to take tiny sips. So he literally laid there for like six or seven hours and like would take a sip every like 10 minutes to prevent himself from like vomiting up uh, all the water he was drinking. So at this point though, he could fill his water container to bring with him. Um, And then also at the Oasis, he found a human footprint in the sand. So he figured people couldn't be far. On day nine, he saw goats in the distance, the first significantly big animal that he had seen. And then he saw a young shepherd girl. Oh, wow.
0: And I would have thought, thought that was like a hallucination. No,
1: no, that was real because she ran away from him. <laughs> She's like, Who the fuck are you? In the middle of nowhere. Well, like Raggedy ass. Yeah, he probably looks like shit, covered in sand, clearly a foreigner, and (laughs) so she was like, peace. So she ran away, but he followed her, uh, chased after her, essentially, which is so scary. (laughs) Poor girl. Um, She ran toward a Berber uh, tribe or group, which is another ethnic nomadic group that live in the Sahara Um, they had a tent um, which was full of women as the men had gone to the market and the women were staying behind at camp Um, the older an older woman immediately saw him gave him goat's milk to drink and started taking care of him Um, they would not let him in the tent because he was a man and uh, there's a lot of you know Separation of the sexes within these cultures. Um, but they did put him in like the shade of the veranda of the tent. Um, so they were taking care of him. And then they sent someone to call the police. Um, as Berbers, Bedouin, Tuareg often will camp close to like military bases for protection. So once the police arrived, though, they uh blindfolded him and put him in their Jeep thinking that he might be a spy or might be dangerous
0: oh my god
1: this poor guy jesus
0: he cannot get
1: a break (laughs) so they held guns on him at all times and prospery thought that they were going to kill him but eventually they figured out that he was a lost marathon runner um that they heard about on the news and they all they took off the blindfold and they all celebrated yay Turns out,
0: oh my god, like oh sorry guys, like my bad. oh right? I just I thought you were so foreign and that's gonna hurt us. I didn't realize you were a lost marathon under My bad, my bad. Yeah, you want some water? Right.
1: <laughs> so the reason they didn't know who he was was because he wasn't in Morocco anymore. He had
0: crossed. Oh my god, where was he?
1: He had crossed the border into Algeria.
0: Get the fuck out of here. here. Oh my god. He was... Talk uh, about being lost. He was lost. Capital L-O-S-T. (laughs) Lost.
1: He was 181 miles off course.
0: That's That's, 181
1: miles of lost.
0: He is very lost. (laughs) Lost? Yes. <laughs> That's
1: longer than the actual race was. Oh
0: my god. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Was, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh god. That mm-hmm. poor guy. <sighs> he just got like the most lost. So hey, did he ever run again after this? Did well, he ever do any other races? Or was he like fuck races? I'm not gonna do this ever again. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um <laughs> okay. So on slide two, there's
1: a map. Um, so the race was supposed to go in between the Moroccan cities of Founzouguide and Zagora, um, and he ended up in Tindouf, Algeria. Oh
0: wow! So it's 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 a far distance. It, it's it's really far south of the where where it's supposed to be for sure. But also like to describe like verbally describe what this map looks like Mm -hmm. if the race is going between these two cities like the border is not far from the parameters of this race so it would be really easy to go into a different country yeah but to get to the city where he was found Mm -hmm. that's where he was found right yeah near it yeah near it yeah to get down there that is really far though from the border (laughs) That's very far. <laughs> it's yeah. like if you were supposed to go north on a route and you just straight up turned around and went straight south for like three days. Yeah. That's nine like what happened. Days. Nine days, actually. <laughs> yeah, nine days. That's what happened.
1: So the police then took him to a hospital in Tendouf, Algeria, where he, uh, after 10 days, he was finally able to call his wife, Cinzia, and the first thing he says to her, which Is, cracks me. Oh, up, I fucked up! I no, fucked up. <laughs> no, no, he said, "What do you think? Ha- have you already had my funeral?" Oh my god! Just uh, like this man better How like, morbid. She better have also had a dark sense of humor.
0: <laughs> I, think, I hope so. But Like yeah, we had it last week. It was great. Your mother came. We all said well wishes. Like. Yeah apparently like you're good you're good to go now she made a beautiful she made a beautiful caprese
1: salad there was a great cake that somebody made you know
0: (laughs) your brother-in-law did not give the best speech but it's okay we'll let it pass he's grieving people grieve in their own ways oh god so (laughs) she must have had a a
1: decent (laughs) sense of humor is all i can hope um so, as far as his <laughs> health was concerned, he had lost 35 pounds, which was... 20. Oh, my God. Yeah, in nine days. That's a oh lot of weight. Oh, God. That, yeah, that's, that's too rapid for your body to handle. Yeah, no. I mean, it'd be great if I could do that shit, but uh, he weighed unhealthy. Yeah, he weighed 99 pounds after that. And this this is like... I mean, he's, he's a... He's lean, but he's tall, you know, yeah, full ass man weighing 99
0: pounds.
1: (sighs) So in addition, his eyes and his uh, liver were damaged from the lack of food and water for nine days. So going back to how he couldn't pee, basically there's like toxin buildup in his body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So that's what caused... I definitely the liver damage. I'm not so sure about the eyes. I don't, it could also be like partially from being in the sun like that for so long, too. Um, mm-hmm. So he couldn't eat anything other than soup or liquids for months afterward. And it took him almost two years to recover after he got back. Oh, my God. I bet. So the last slide shows a picture of Prosperi returning um, to Italy from his ordeal and honestly like I don't know how long he had been in the ho- hospital in Algeria but he looks pretty good <laughs> all things considered
0: he does honestly yeah. like it it looks like he just landed. this photo to me looks like I don't I don't know how to describe this in the best way possible but the the impression that I got was like um Rafael Nadal coming off of, like, his airplane when he just won Wimbledon. <laughs> like, oh, hey, like, yeah, yeah. That's great. Like, yeah. and he's got, like, his two, like, security guys by him. Like, yeah. oh, you're good, dude. Like, we got you. And he's just, like, trying to avoid the paparazzi with, like, that blank stare. Yeah. Like, that's what that looks like to me. I'm like, he yeah. just won Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he this boy's still
1: only eating soup. At this point, because he can't keep anything else down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And the picture on the bottom is a picture of the modern day marathon, Dace Sable.
0: Sable. They still hold that that race? Yeah. Oh, God. But
1: now there's like 1,300 people running instead of 80. So it's much harder to get lost.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that race saw an increase in participants
1: after he was rescued. Well, we'll get kind of into how the race has changed since he went through that. So you did ask if he continued to run. So after he recovered for two years, he came back to the Marathon de Sable four years later so he could finally finish the race. And he did. Good. So he did this whole thing again. <laughs> Minus, oh. you know, almost dying in the desert. But um, he cited his draw back to the race as desert fever and was drawn back to the desert every year to greet it and experience it, which is something I feel like that happens a lot to people who go through this kind of stuff. Like, for example... People get kind of an Antarctica fever or a polar fever, and Mm -hmm. especially you know in the early 1900s when we were having all those expeditions, like a lot of polar explorers would say, like I just wanted to go back. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I thought about. So
0: Mm -hmm.
1: same with cavers, same with mountain climbers. I feel like it's very much a thing. So it's got to be a thing. Yeah, because otherwise, like why? Why would you be there? So since then, he has uh, run eight more desert marathons um, and came in 12th place at the Marathon des Sables in 2001. In 2015, he ran a 4,340-mile race coast to coast from Morocco to Egypt. So he ran the entire length of this era.
0: I just don't understand why people feel compelled to do that.
1: I don't know why people are compelled to run half marathons. So
0: <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you that because I've done a couple half marathons at this point. For me, it's a personal goal mm. and it's just far enough to where it's like pushing your limits. Yeah. But I can, I can, I can tell you that every time I complete a half marathon, I think to myself, there is no fucking way I'm doing a full marathon ever in my lifetime. <laughs> I was like, this is
1: enough. <sighs> so maybe for him, because his limit is so far beyond what normal humans can do. This is pushing his limits.
0: Ugh. But like at a certain point, you got to realize that that's not really rational, right? Like,
1: <laughs> no, it's not. Which you could say the same thing about people wanting to climb Everest or people wanting to sail solo, across the, you know around the world or you know cross yeah. antarctica to go to the south pole why why
0: it doesn't make sense that fire it just gotta feel that fire that's really <laughs> what it is mm. yes man people are weird do you ever think about that about, yes like, people have this like innate drive obviously you think about that but it's like people have that innate drive to do some crazy shit yep Yep, and this is why this
1: podcast exists because I'm fascinated by that drive.
0: Do you think it's genetic? I think. Do you think it's genetic, or do you think it is it like nurture versus nature type of situation? I think it's a combination of all of it, to be honest.
1: Like, like for me, I don't want to push my body necessarily, but there are some environments that just draw me in so entirely emotionally and obviously the ocean is one. I love a good forest. Um, and honestly, like if I, if I could go to either of the poles or like be in the Arctic or the Antarctic, I would be so happy. And I know that place would just suck me in. So I think for me, it's partially genetic because my dad, I feel like also has that, but also it's, you know, the part of the environment, um, that i was raised in as well so i think it's a little
0: yeah but also like the environment you're raised in is like from your dad who has that in him already Mm -hmm. but who's to say
1: yeah who's to say what's genetic and what's you know nurture and what's
0: nurture yeah 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 oh man that shit always gets my brain going honestly there's a lot that i we're not gonna talk about that now but that that is something that like if anyone ever wanted to bring up nature versus nurture with me, that would always be a large conversation. I'm like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad there's just so many facets to it. I like, know. And it can, can be, easily talk about it. And it can be really great
1: for you. It can be a really, like, I'm glad that I got the I love nature, uh, thing instead of the, um, I'm going to kill I, people thing. <laughs>
0: Like, I love drugs, type of thing, yeah,
1: like addiction, addictive personalities, yeah. So, you know, it's everybody's got something that just drives them, and it's really uh, and some people have bigger drives than others, I think, and that's why you get people like mario Prosperi. So,
0: yeah, I do think I will say that I do think addictive personalities are genetic, but how you handle the addictive personality is like a nurture type of thing, yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So let's wrap this up. Um, So based on Prosperi's miraculous experience, um, let's go through NPR's advice for surviving in the desert. (laughs) So without water, death occurs in about three days as um, in the desert, as the body dries out very quickly. However, at sea, people can survive six to seven days without water. If you find yourself out in the desert, do not drink for 24 hours so your body activates into survival mode. Try to avoid eating protein because your body uses more water to digest protein than other foods. Now, drinking urine is actually not recommended because it contains salt and urea that will dehydrate you even further Um, This is why Prosperi urinated into the water bottle immediately to have like the least salty urine to drink um, in case it got to that point. But you shouldn't like just start drinking your pee immediately. Um, Now, one thing Prosperi did do right was drinking blood. This may help as it is both easy to digest and conserves body water and contains water itself. So it is one of the preferred food resources in these situations. Survivors at sea have reported drinking sea turtle blood to survive and Prosperi did the same with bats. So that's kind of the uh, interesting thing I'll leave you with in case you ever find yourself lost in the Saguaro desert. Although if you're lost there, you can drink cactus juice. So will be good. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I think I would just take uh, some pieces of cacti and gobble that shit down. Oh, yeah. um, but interesting to know that sea turtle blood is something that people have done on the uh, uh, open ocean when they're stranded. Yeah. Because like I did not you, know that
1: unless you build something to uh, like purify or desalinate water. Like you can't there's no water out there. The ocean is basically a, a desert in that sense. For survival, because there's yeah. not fresh water, right? Yeah. So just you know, food for that. <laughs> uh Something to think about. <sighs> so let me do my citations real quick. Um, yes, 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 yes. So first one: How I drank urine and bat blood to survive. <clears throat>
0: mm, yummy. <laughs>
1: by Mario Prosperi, and that's from the BBC News. Uh, Alone in the Sahara: The Survival Story of Mario Prosperi uh, by Patrick McCarthy for Off Grid Magazine. Uh, and then the article on the Sahara desert, uh, by Jeffrey Albin Gritzner, and that was from Encyclopedia Britannica. And then that information about like, uh, survival in the desert was, uh, source for survival facts, the essentials of sea survival by F. Golden and M. Tipton, um, in 2002. And so those are all of my sources. And that is the unlikely
0: survival story of Mara Prosperi in the Sahara Desert. I love it. I think that was a great story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really enjoyed
1: it. Yeah, it's nice when they live.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so. I really like the ones where they live. That's for sure. (laughs) I've been doing a lot of downers lately. I realize that. (laughs) I, uh, I was talking to someone recently, and they oh my gosh I wish I could remember when and where I was talking to this person I want to say it was just like a passerby type of conversation um and it may have even been to the point where I just overheard someone's conversation um while I was just like shopping or whatever um but they were talking about spelunking and in my head I clearly remember being like yo fuck that there is <laughs> no way I am getting <laughs> caught in a fucking cave I'm gonna die in a cave no no thank you I don't want that <laughs> so good things it's good things kinda... that happened this week today I got my booster shot and yeah I need to do yeah. that
1: I'm
0: gonna I do that like that's a good thing I need uh I'm gonna do that next weekend I think
1: because that's when I'm gonna have time
0: um, yeah, uh, I kind of figured like it was now or never because I'm going to be going home on like the 20th kind of time frame. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Get that. Get that taken care of. Yeah. We yeah. have a little bit more time <laughs> because
1: of the whole flounder situation. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, so well, my cousin on my mom's side, she's going to be down in Key West for a bachelorette party um, next Friday. Mm-hmm. And so she's she said that she extended her trip because she's never been to Key West before and i was like oh you're gonna be so glad you extended it and i told her i was like i don't live in key west but i live in the lower keys and you're gonna be able to see like a different part of the keys because when people come to key west it's a lot of tourist stuff Mm -hmm. and so um i told her that if it wasn't too windy then i'd take her out paddle boarding yeah paddle boarding in the lower keys is super cool because like i mean Whenever I go out paddle boarding, there's like tons of fish that I see, sea turtles, like juvenile sea turtles that I see, some bonnet head sharks.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, my friend saw a saw, uh, what is it? Sawtooth? Sawtooth? The the endangered one, long snout, yeah, teeth on the side. Sawfish, saw? Sawfish, sawfish, yeah. sawfish. thank you. Yeah. I was like, I'm I'm <laughs> blanking. Sawtooth. <laughs> sawfish. Um, yeah, she saw a, she saw a sawfish. I was like, that's fucking sick so it's just like they they are endangered for sure yeah uh, and i feel like seeing one of those guys is like finding a pearl yeah in That. slam
1: whatever shopper. that would be definitely on my if i ever saw one on my top 10 best top five even best animal encounters of my life so i think right now the one at the yeah. top is the uh, tiger shark that i got to tag that was pretty cool but um, that's cool yeah, she's a big girl.
0: I was paddling. Yeah, I was paddling out to. I think it was Deer Key. It's by Curry Hammock State Park, and I swear it was a lemon shark, but I could have been mistaken because it was far enough away that I couldn't see exactly what species it was. Mm-hmm. But it was large. It was about like four and a half feet long. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's pretty cool. And then yeah. I saw like a little baby green sea turtle, and I well. tried to like get my phone out to like take a photo of it and it i was too slow because it just swam away oh baby a bummer yeah but it's like, cool and i love seeing bonnet head sharks because they're so small even when they're adults are so small mm-hmm. and it's like oh they're so sweet and be so cute do, do not they pick them so up cute. but like when you're a biologist like you can't just pick them up and they're cute like yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> when it's your job when you're legally allowed to like yeah. What is your job? Like I've totally handled them before because it was my job to handle them before, but like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're so easy to handle and they're cute. They're like, yeah, you can just nice. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have so, um, at I, the
1: aquarium and I loved them so much. They were mm-hmm. so
0: cute. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited that my cousin's going to be able to see a little bit of a different side of the keys. And so yeah. just like the tourist bar scene of Key West. So, yes, yeah. that's cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um,
1: I guess I am looking forward to tomorrow night. We are doing rocklet with um, some of our friends here, and one of our friends who's coming back from Alaska. So, she'll have a lot of good stories. Um, and rocklet is basically rocklet? Yeah, it's like this Swiss cheese that you melt. And you like put it on top of like potatoes and meat and stuff. And Corey has done this with his family for like every Christmas basically, or actually he does it for New Year's, but it's like a holiday thing. And so we have like a rocklet machine. It's like a griddle top, granite griddle top. And then underneath are these little metal trays that you put the cheese on, slide them in and they melt and get all crispy. (laughs)
0: Get out of here.
1: Like a whole that thing.
0: That so, so good. Yeah.
1: You see, it, you see it popping up more and more now in like, like, you know, hipster, like gastro pubs and stuff. It's becoming more of a thing. But we like to do it okay. with our friends. So I'm excited about that. And then Corey is taking me to see the Nutcracker in Corpus Christi. That's fun. Which is something we kind of used to do every year because it's one of the things I did with my mom every year. And now I can't do that with her. So we're going, um, to do it. And he's kind of taken on that tradition. Cause, um, you know, he's my husband we live together and we're family now. So it's kind of like, we haven't done it. We didn't do it last what a year. Guy. I know. I know. We didn't do it last year. Cause of the pandemic, but, um, yeah, we're doing it this year. I'm excited.
0: So. Oh, good guy, Corey. I know. <laughs> so sweet. He's, he really is. So those are my th- happy
1: things. Um, so even in all this chaos, there are, there's, there's good. still so good. Good, happy things. Yeah.
0: So yeah. Um, yeah. We're... Definitely still good things.
1: Yes. Yes. Just got to wade through to get to
0: them. <laughs> well, I was saying, Thinking about it, when I was homeless for like four or five days, I was like, thankfully, I do have friends that care about me and will help me. And then thankfully, I work for an organization that provides housing for their interns and their visiting scientists. And sometimes that housing is not all the way booked. So lucky me that there was a dorm room available for me to crash in. and also thankfully i have a loving boyfriend who lets me stay at his house (laughs) he just um, happened to
1: (laughs) not have cell phone reception
0: god all
1: right let's wrap this bad boy up because it's nine o'clock um okay yeah so uh where can our listeners find us
0: if you would like to find us, you can find us on the socials at mother nature will kill you podcast on Instagram and on the, the Twitter. It is the acronym for mother nature will kill you. So it would be M N W K Y podcast. Yes. Um, I know I always have to like really think for that. and It kind of hurts my brain. Um, and then we have a website, mother will where you can listen. Um, check out our bios and the resources and submit your own story. If you have one, it doesn't have to be anything extravagant. Um, It can be something as little as my friend, Emily, who, but as her story, um, she submitted one of where her her hair got caught in the uh, pulley system of when she was um, what's it? It's not climbing. What was it? Belaying repelling repelling. Yeah. Yeah. Repelling in uh around like moab arches area yeah and she got stuck with her hair up in that shit and that was not a fun time for her basically
1: you don't have to eat uh bats and drink their blood to make it on the podcast but if you have done that yes please, please tell
0: us about it we want to know be super interested to know about all of that <laughs>
1: Um, In addition to uh, all of that, we are on all of the uh, listening platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as Anchor, so there's a lot of options for you to listen. And then also, it would really help us out um, if you want to help out the podcast um, by giving us five-star reviews. Um, it really helps uh, move us up the charts, essentially, and, you know, screw around with the algorithm. So it's not necessarily to make us feel good, but it does make us feel good. Um, okay, so let's wrap this bad boy up um, with that.
0: All right. Well, until next. Yes. Until next time, stay safe. Stay safe but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Goodbye.